Hey guys, welcome back to George Has the Wheel. I'm your host, Carson Ragnar, and today we're going to be doing part one of two in our Malaysian Airlines Flight 17 series. So hope you enjoy this, and if you have any questions, comments, reviews, suggestions for upcoming episodes, or anything else um, that's on your mind, shoot me an email at georgehasthewheel7500 at gmail.com. My email will be down in the description. Also down in the description will be my site. Um, so go check that out, guys. It's brand new. I really like it. And also down in the description are all the credits to, um, uh, some of the stuff I'm reading is verbatim, so I have to put credits down, uh, in the description. So, yeah. Thanks for listening, guys. Again, I really hope you enjoy this, and don't forget to slam that notification bell to get notified every time I release a new episode, and follow my podcast on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and Audible. Okay, guys, once again, I'm your host, Carson Wagner. Thanks for listening, and let's get started. In regard to the next segment or segments of this episode, credit links to the original authors and articles are included down in the description. It is my legal responsibility to inform you that this copyrighted original work has been modified and added to by me under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike International 4.0 Reuse Operating License. A link to the license will be included in the description. After the segment or segments is over, I will clarify what I am referring to by noting the end of the modified copyright work. Malaysian Airlines Flight 17, MH17 or MAS17, was a scheduled passenger flight from Amsterdam to Kuala Lumpur that was shot down on July 17, 2014 while flying over eastern Ukraine. All 283 passengers and 15 crew were killed. Contact with the aircraft, a Boeing 777-200ER, was lost when it was about 50 kilometers, 31 miles, from the Ukraine-Russia border, and wreckage from the aircraft fell near Habrov in Donetsk, a blast, Ukraine, 40 kilometers, 25 miles, from the border. The shootdown occurred during the war in Donbass over territory controlled by Russian separatist forces. The responsibility for investigation was delegated to the Dutch Safety Board, DSB, and the Dutch-led Joint Investigation Team, JIT, who concluded that the airliner was downed by a Buck surface-to-air missile launched from pro-Russian separatist-controlled territory in Ukraine. In, according, so according to the JIT, the buck that was used originated from the 53rd Anti-Aircraft Missile Brigade of the Russian Federation and had been transported from Russia on the day of the crash, fired from a field in a rebel-controlled area in a launch system, the launch system was returned to Russia afterwards. The finding by the DSB and the JIT are consistent with the earlier claims by American and German intelligence sources and claims by the Ukrainian government. On the basis of the JIT's conclusions, the governments of the Netherlands and Australia held Russia responsible for the deployment of the Buck installation and were pursuing legal routes as of May 2018. The Russian government denied involvement in the shooting down of the airplane, and its account of how the aircraft was shot down has varied over time. Coverage in Russian media has also differed from that in other countries. This was Malaysian Airlines' second aircraft loss during 2014 after the disappearance of Flight 370 four months prior on March 8th and is the deadliest airliner shootdown incident to date. Flight 17, which is also marketed as KLM Flight 4103 through a code share agreement, was operated by a Boeing 777-2H6ER, serial number 28411, 
registration 9 Mike Mike Romeo Delta. The 84th Boeing 777 produced, it first flew on July 17, 1997, exactly 17 years before the incident, and was delivered new to Malaysia Airlines on July 29, 1997. Powered by two Rolls-Royce Trent 892 engines and carrying 280 seats, 33 business, and 247 economy, the aircraft had recorded more than 76,300 hours in 11,430 cycles before the crash. The aircraft was in an airworthy condition at departure. The Boeing 777, which entered commercial service on June 7, 1995, has one of the best safety records among commercial aircraft. In June 2014, there are, uh, there are about 1,202 aircraft in service, with 340 more on order. The incident is the deadliest airliner shootdown incident to date. All 283 passengers and 15 crew died. By, 19th July, by July 19th, the airline had determined the nationalities of all 298 passengers and crew. The crew were all Malaysian, while over two-thirds of the passengers were Dutch. Most of the other passengers were Malaysians and Australians. The remainder were citizens of seven other countries. So typically I don't list off the nationalities, but because there are so few um, on board uh, this flight, I am going to list them off. So there are 27 Australians, 4 Belgians, 1 Canadian, 4 Germans, 12 Indonesians, 43 Malaysians, 193 were from the Netherlands, 1 New Zealander, 3 Filipinos, and 10 from the United Kingdom which adds up to a total of 298. So the crew was all Malaysian, while over two-thirds... Oh, wait, I already read... I, sorry, I already said that. Among the passengers were delegates en route to the 20th International AIDS Conference in Melbourne, including Joep Lang, the former president of the International AIDS Society, which organized the conference. Many initial reports had erroneously indicated that around 100 delegates to the conference were aboard, but this was later revised to six. Also on board were Dutch Senator William Wateven and Australian author Liam Davison and Malaysian actress Shuba Jay. At least 20 family groups were on the aircraft and 80 passengers were under the age of 18. The flight crew were Captains Juan Amran Juan Hassin and Eugene Chu, Lin, Chu Jin Leong and First Officers Ahmad Hakimi Hanapi, and Mud Firdas Abdul Rahim. So the armed conflict in eastern Ukraine had led some airlines to avoid eastern Ukrainian airspace in early March 2014 due to safety concerns. In the months prior to July 17th, reports circulated in the media on the presence of weapons, including surface-to-air missiles, in the hands of the rebels that were fighting the Ukrainian government in eastern Ukraine. On May 26th, a spokesperson of the Ukrainian Armed Forces stated that a surface-to-air missile system that was being used by the rebels near Donetsk airport had been destroyed by a helicopter of the Ukrainian army. On June 6, 2014, the International New York Times reported that surface-to-air missiles had been seized <coughs> sorry, from military bases. On June 11th, the newspaper Argumenti Nadelli reported that a Buck M1 missile launcher had been present in an area under the separatists' control. On June 29th, the Russian news agencies reported that insurgents had obtained a Buck missile system after having taken control of Ukrainian military unit A-1402 and the Donetsk People's Republic claimed possession of such a system in a since-deleted tweet. 
Such air defense systems cannot, rely, cannot reliably identify and avoid civilian aircraft. The Ukrainian authorities declared in the media that this system was not operational, and according to the subsequent statement of the Security Service of Ukraine, three Buck missile systems were located on militia-controlled territory at the time that Malaysia Airlines Boeing 777 was shot down. On the night following the downing of MH17, two Buck launcher vehicles, one of which carried three missiles out of a normal complement of four, was observed moving into Russia. Several aircraft from the Ukrainian Air Force were shot down in the months and days preceding the MH17 incident. On June 14, 2014, a Ukrainian Air Force Ilyushin L-76 military transport was shot down um, on approach to Luhansk International Airport with the loss of nine crew members and 40 troops. On July 14, 2014, a Ukrainian Air Force An-26 transport aircraft flying at 6,500 meters, 21,300 feet, was shot down. The militia reportedly claimed via social media that a Buck missile launcher, which they had previously seized and made operational, had been used to bring down the aircraft. American officials later said evidence suggested the aircraft had been shot down from Russian territory. On July 16th, the Ministry of Defense of Ukraine reported that about at about um, 1,300 local time, terrorists used man pads. Uh, man pads are man-portable air defense systems. You know, the missile launchers that uh, soldiers will carry on their shoulder. Eh, they'll fire from their shoulder, except for... It, typically, those are surface-to-surface. -surface. This is surface-to-air. Um, so they used those against a Su-25 jet, which was performing a flight mission in the AT... Oh, anti-terrorist operation zone. According to the report, the airplane received minor damage and was forced to make a landing. Later, the Ministry of Defense of Ukraine reported on the second Su-25 that was attacked at the same on the same day at about 1900 local time near the Ukrainian-Russian border in the area of Amvrosivka. According to the details reported by Ukraine's RNBO spokesperson Andrei Lysenko, uh, the RNBO is the National Security and Defense Council of Ukraine. Um, the Ukrainian Su-25 was shot down by an R-2017 medium-range air-to-air missile fired by a MiG-29 jet from Russian territory, while the Su-25 was at an altitude of 8,250 meters. The Russian Defense Ministry said that the accusations were false. In response to additional questions by the Dutch Safety Board, the Ukrainian authorities reported that a provisional investigation had, re had revealed that the airplane had been shot down while flying at an altitude of 6,250 meters. Ukrainian authorities also thought that the Su-25 could have been shot down with a Panzer missile system from Russian territory, though they thought this less likely. On July 17th, an Associated Press journalist saw a buck launcher in Snizhne in Donetsk Oblast, 16 kilometers, 10 miles, southeast of the crash site. The reporter also saw seven separatist tanks near the town. Associated Press journalists reported that the Buck M1 was operated by a man with unfamiliar fatigues and a distinctive Russian accent, escorted by two civilian vehicles. The battle around Savermoy Law has been suggested as the possible context with it, with, within which the missile that brought down MH3, MH17 was fired, as separatists deployed increasingly sophisticated anti-aircraft weaponry in this battle, and had brought down several Ukrainian jets in July.
In April, the International Civil Aviation Organization had warned governments that there was a risk to commercial passenger flights over southeastern Ukraine. The American Federal Aviation Administration issued restrictions on flights over Crimea to the south of MH17's route and advised airlines flying over some other parts of Ukraine to exercise extreme caution. This warning did not include the MH17 uh, crash region. 37 different airlines continued overflying eastern Ukraine, and about 900 flights crossed the Donetsk region in the seven days before the 777 was shot down. Russian ATC issued a notice effective July 17th at 0000 with two conflicting altitude restrictions in the airspace in the adjacent area over Russia below 32,000 feet, 9,800 meters, and below 53,000 feet, 1,600 meters. Um, Long-distance flights typically travel at altitudes of 33,000 to 44,000 feet, so the second restriction would effectively um, close that airspace to civilian overflights, but the second restriction was not noted by the automated systems of Malaysian Airlines, and the route was not changed. The reason given for the notice was armed conflict in, Ura in Ukraine. Russian authorities told the Dutch Safety Board the notice had been published to create agreement with the adjoining Ukrainian airspace, but provided no clarification for the higher restriction. The airspace over Donetsk was managed by Ukraine. The Ukrainian authorities imposed restrictions for flights under 32,000 feet, 9,800 9, meters, but did not consider closing the airspace to civil aviation completely. As with other countries, Ukraine receives overflight fees for commercial aircraft that fly through their territory, and this may have contributed to the continued availability of civilian flight paths through the conflict zone. However, the Netherlands, where the main investigation was conducted, did not hold Ukraine accountable for not closing its airspace due to lack of evidence that it should have done so. On Thursday, July 17, 2014, Malaysia Airlines Flight 17 departed from Amsterdam Airport Sheeplegate G3 at 12.13 CEST, um, 10.13 US UTC, 13 minutes later than the scheduled departure time, and took off at 12.31 local time, 10.31 UTC. It was due to arrive at Kuala Lumpur International Airport at 6.10 MYT, Friday, July 18th. 2210 UTC, July 17th. According to the original flight plan, MH17 was to fly over Ukraine at flight level 330, 33,000 feet or 10,060 meters, and then changed to flight level 350 under the Ukrainian city of. Oh boy, this is going. This is this is a name. Okay, so let's let's see if I can pronounce this. Dniproptrovsk. Dniproptrovsk. Uh, you know, I'm not even going to attempt to. I'm going to spell it out, and I'm going to leave it up to you. You can try to pronounce it. I can't do it. D-N-I-P-R-O-P-E-T-R-O-V... Uh, sorry. R-O-V-S-K. That is a name. Boy. But, uh, yeah, I, I couldn't even... I couldn't even begin to attempt to pronounce that, so I'm going to leave that up to you on how to pronounce that. So when it reached the area as planned at 1553 local time, um, same name again, um, the Dnip 
Petrovsk Air Control, um, also called Dnipro Control, asked MH-17 if they could climb to flight level 350 as planned and also to maintain separation from another flight, Singapore Airlines Flight 351, also at flight level 330. The crew asked to remain at flight level 330 and the air traffic controller approved this request, moving the other flight to flight, three, to flight level 350. At 16, uh, 1600 local time, the crew asked for a deviation of 20 nautical miles, 37 kilometers, to the left, north, off course, on airway L980 due to weather conditions. The request was also approved by Dnipro Control ATC. The crew then asked if they could climb to flight level 340, which was re rejected as this flight level was not available, so MH-17 remained at flight level 330. At 16.19 local time, 13.19 UTC, Dnipro Control noticed that the flight was 3.6 nautical miles, 6.7 kilometers, north of the center line of its approved airway and instructed MH-17 to return to the track. At 16.19 local time, 13.19 UTC, Dnipro contr Control con contacted Russian ATC and Rostov on Don, RND Control, by telephone and requested clearance to transfer the flight to Russian airspace. After obtaining permission, Dnipro Control attempted to contact MH17 for handing them off to RND Control at 16.20 local time. But the aircraft did not respond. When MH-17 did not respond to several calls, Dnipro Control um, contacted R&D Control again to check if they could see the aircraft on their radar. R&D Control confirmed that the airliner had disappeared. The Dutch Safety Board reported that both the cockpit voice recorder and the flight data recorder stopped recording at 16.20.03 local time. The last FDR data indicates that the plane was at the position of 48.12715 north and 38.5263.0538 east, located west of the urban type settlement. Um, let's see if I can pronounce this name too. Roz Sipney, um, near Habrove, um, a city, another city in Donetsk, a blast. Oblast, heading east-southeast um, at 115 degrees at an altitude of 32,998 feet above sea level with a ground speed of 494 knots, and an indicated airspeed of 293 knots. The flight data recorders, the flight show no warning of, show no sign of warning or unusual occurrence prior to the end of their recordings, but two sound peaks are heard in the last 20 milliseconds of the CVR recording. At 16.20.03 local time, a butt ground-to-air missile which had been launched from an area southeast of the aircraft detonated just outside the airplane, just above and to the left of the cockpit. The blast and fragments of the missile severely damaged the, air, the cockpit and instantly killed three crew members in it. Evidence on the left engine intake ring and left wing tip suggests that the left wing and left engine had also picked up some, some shrapnel from the missile. An explosive decompression occurred, tearing the forward section of the aircraft into pieces, causing the middle and rear sections to tear into three sections and depressurizing the cabin. 
the explosive decompression could have incapacitated most occupants of the aircraft before the crash. However, investigators never ruled out the possibility that some were still conscious when the aircraft impacted the ground. Some occupants might have suffered serious injuries that contributed to their deaths before the crash. The aircraft fell rapidly and continued dis disintegrating before impacting the ground. Investigators were able to determine how the aircraft disintegrated and crashed. The aircraft began disintegrating immediately after being struck by a missile. Investigators believed that the disintegration of the forward section of the fuselage started between the left side cockpit windows and the forward left exit door. The cockpit section and the business class section of the aircraft began tearing into a number of pieces before the aircraft descended rapidly toward the ground. During that period of time, the left engine intake ring had also fallen off the engine and fell in the same place where, as where some of the, uh, uh, these pieces fell. As the aircraft was falling, the instability and aerodynamic loads of the aircraft stressed its fuselage, resulting in further disintegration. Shortly before crashing into the ground, the rear section of the fuselage, just behind where the two wings were attached to the fuselage, was separated from the middle portion of the fuselage. At the same time, the two wing tips had fallen off the wing from the wings of the aircraft. The tail section, which was just behind the aft exit doors, was also separated from the rear section. The pair of horizontal stabilizers and the vertical stabilizer were also separated from the tail section prior to impacting the ground. The middle portion, including the two wings and the two engines, eventually crashed into a farmland and its large quantity of jet fuel exploded upon its impact. The positions of the aircraft wreckage suggest that the plane might have been upside down when the rear and middle sections disintegrated, and the middle portion probably crashed inverted while traveling rearward. Investigators could not specify the exact time when each major section of the plane hit the ground. However, they estimated that the middle portion of the aircraft had impacted the ground within 1 to 1.5 minutes after the beginning of the in-flight breakup. So the mid-air disintegration had caused the seats, pieces of interior wall, and floor and overhead compartments and other interior structures of the aircraft to fall out of the plane. Some bodies, personal belongings, and other light objects had also fallen out of the plane. As a result of the disintegration, the debris of the plane landed in six different areas. In the investigation report, the position where the plane was struck by a missile is defined as the last FDR point because it is where the flight data recorder stopped recording. A few parts of the business class and cockpit sections landed on farmland far north of the last FDR point. The business class section in the left in engine intake ring landed in the large residential area of Petropavlivka. Man, that's a name. Northeast of the last FDR point. The cockpit in the forward cargo section, including the nose landing gear, landed on farmland far southeast of the last FDR point and southwest of the village of Rozsipni. The tail and the rear fuselage sections landed further east of the last FDR point, while the middle portion of the aircraft landed at 48 degrees, 8 degrees, 17 degrees north, 38 degrees, 38 degrees, 20 degrees east, just northeast of them. Most of the debris of the aircraft, which were over the middle and rear sections, landed near southwest of the village of Habrov, north of Therese. The wreckage had spread over a 50 square kilometer, 19 square mile, area in Donetsk Blast. Eastern Ukraine. The fireball and impact is believed to have been captured on video. 
Photographs from the site of the crash show scattered pieces of broken fuselage and engine parts, bodies, and passports. Some of the wreckage fell close to houses, while dozens of bodies fell into crop fields, and some fell into houses. Three other commercial aircraft were in the same area when the Malaysian airliner was shot down. Air India Flight 113, a Boeing 787 en route from Delhi to Birmingham. Eva Air Flight 88, a Boeing 777 en route from Paris to Taipei, Taipei, Taipei. And the closest aircraft, Singapore Airlines Flight 351, was 33 kilometers away, 21 miles away. A Boeing 777 en route from Copenhagen to Singapore. Okay, guys, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back in just a minute with the next part of this episode. This ends the segment or segments that include copyrighted work. For more information, click on the link in the description. Hey guys, Karsten here from George Has the Wheel. I want to take a moment to tell you about Audible's awesome 30-day free trial program. Just the link in the description and sign up for the free trial. You get a free membership with Audible for 30 days, one Audible credit to spend on books that are yours to keep, two credits if you're a Prime member, a friendly email reminder before your trial ends, and best of all, unrestricted access to the entire Audible Plus catalog of books, podcasts, audiobooks, guided wellness, and Audible originals. No credits needed. That's completely free, guys. The whole catalog to people who use my link in the description. Again, to sign up, hit the link in the description and get your exclusive free trial today. In regard to the next segment or segments of this episode, credit links to the original authors and articles are included down in the, the, the description. It is my legal responsibility to inform you that this copyrighted original work has been modified and added to under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike International 4.0 Reuse Operating License. A link to the license will be included in the description. After the segment or segments is over, I will clarify exactly what I, what I am referring to by noting the end of the modified copyright work. A Ukraine foreign ministry representative said the bodies found at the crash site would be taken to Kharkiv for identification, 270 kilometers, 170 miles to the north. By the day after the crash, 181 of the 298 bodies had been found. Some were observed being placed in body bags and loaded onto trucks. Dutch Prime Minister Mark Root initially complained about looting of personal belongings from the dead and the careless handling of their bodies, but later stated they had been handled with more care than originally thought. Other media complained that the credit and debit cards were being looted and their accusations that evidence at the crash site had been destroyed. The Guardian, a British daily newspaper, noted that tales of looting seemed to be exaggerated, but the chaos at the crash site risked the accidental destruction of evidence which the paper contended journalists were contributing to. On July 20th, Ukrainian emergency workers, observed by armed pro-Russian separatists, began loading the remains of the passengers of MH17 into refrigerated railway wagons for transport and identification. On July 21st, pro-Russian rebels allowed Dutch investigators to examine the bodies. By this time, 272 bodies had been recovered, according to Ukrainian officials. Remains left Torres on a train at the evening of um, July 21st en route to Kharkiv to be flown to the Netherlands for identification. On the same day, Malaysian Prime Minister Najib Razak and then announced that the Malaysian government had reached tentative agreement to retrieve the remains of the Malaysians who had died in the crash. 
following any necessary forensic work. It was reported on July 21st that with 282 bodies and 87 body fragments found, there were still 16 bodies missing. An agreement had been reached that the Netherlands would coordinate the identification effort. A train carrying the bodies arrived at the Malyshev factory, Kharkiv, on July 22nd. Dutch authorities stated that they found 200 bodies on the train when it arrived at Kharkiv, leaving almost 100 accounted for. In late, late July, the UK Metropolitan Police, Metropolitan Police sorry, sent specialist officers to Ukraine to assist with the recovery, identification, and repatriation of bodies. The first remains were flown to Eindhoven in the Netherlands on July 23rd, moved there with a Dutch Air Force C-130 and Australian C-17 transport aircraft, which landed at Eindhoven Airport just before 1600 local time. The day after, another 74 bodies arrived. The examination and identification of the bodies was conducted at the Netherlands Army Medical Regiment Training Facility in Hilversum and was coordinated by a Dutch forensic team. On August 1st, it was announced that a search and recovery mission, including about 80 forensic police specialists from the Netherlands, Malaysia, and Australia, and led by Colonel Cornelis of the Royal Marachasi, the National Gendarmerie Force of the Kingdom of the Netherlands, would use drones, sniffer dogs, divers, and satellite mapping to search for missing body parts at the crash site. Australian, uh, Australian officials had believed that as many as 80 bodies were still at the site. But after some days of searching, the international team had found remains of only a few victims and concluded the recovery effort undertaken by local authorities uh, immediately after the crash was more thorough than initially thought. On August 6th, the Dutch Prime Minister announced that the recovery operation would be temporarily halted due to an upsurge in fighting around the crash site threatening the safety of crash investigators and recovery specialists, and that all international investigators and humanitarian forces conducting searches would leave the country, leaving behind a small communications and liaison team. On August 22nd, the bodies of 20 Malaysians, of 43 killed in the accident, arrived in Malaysia. The government announced a national mourning day with a ceremonial, with a ceremonial broadcast live on radio and television. On October 9th, a spokesman, for the Dutch National Prosecutor's Office stated that one victim had been found with an oxygen mask around his neck. A forensic investigation of the mask for fingerprints, saliva, and DNA did not produce any results. It is therefore not known how or when the mask got around the neck of the victim. By December 5, 2014, the Dutch-led forensic team had identified the bodies of 292 out of 298 victims of the crash. In February and April 2015, new remains were found on the site, after which only two victims, both Dutch citizens, had not been identified. Hey guys, Carson here. Hope you enjoyed that episode, and don't forget to come back next Tuesday for the next uh, United States Space Force episode that we're going to be doing. And yes, I am returning to doing every Tuesday and Friday I will release a new episode. So every Tuesday and Friday, guys, come check out my newest episode. And don't forget to slam that notifications bell and get notified every time I release a new episode. Also, I'm happy to announce that my podcast is now also available on Stitcher and Pocket Cast. So my podcast is currently available on, let me list them off for you, Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, uh, Audible, Air, Amazon Music, Stitcher, and Pocket Cast. 
and I believe I'm missing one in there, but no, no, that's all of them. That's all of them. So those are all the places my podcast is available on. Also, guys, don't forget to hit the link in the description and sign up for Audible's free 30-day free 30-day trial membership. And uh, yeah, don't forget to check out my new site. Um, the link will also be down in the description. And if, again, if you have any questions, comments, reviews, or suggestions for upcoming episodes, shoot me an email at georgehasthewheel7500 at gmail.com. Okay, guys, once again, this is Carson Wagner, your host on the George Has the Wheel, signing out.